Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. It's Wednesday, but as I speak these words to you today, it's Pancake Tuesday and the pot of tea, the pot of Yorkshire tea is on the go and we're going to take a deep dive into the decade that we bizarrely call the noughties and to the football of its time. This is the Noughties Nostalgia Podcast. This is episode 29. It's been 20 years since Wickham drew 2-2 with Wimbledon in the FA Cup and we'll remember that fantastic FA Cup run as well as many other lower league teams reaching the last stages of the FA Cup. The table never lies goes to Ligue 1 and France in 2003 but first since the Champions League is finally back. It was back last night with Leipzig versus Liverpool and Barcelona versus PSG. We're going to take a look back at the best Champions League knockout matches. So listening to this you'll know who won between Leipzig and Liverpool and Barcelona and PSG that happened last night as this episode's released. You'll be looking forward to the likes of Porto and Juventus and Sevilla and Dortmund tonight. Now, for the proponents of football starting in 1992, you'll love this as we're only doing the Champions League era in the best of Champions League knockout matches today. So we wave goodbye to the comebacks of Panathinaikos in 1971, Liverpool in 77 and Barcelona in 1986. We wave goodbye to the fantastic Bayern versus Real Madrid match in the 1980s and also to the Red Star Belgrade versus Bayern Munich match in the early 1990s. We're not including the Busby Babes comeback against Real Madrid, Forrest beating Liverpool in the first round. So, strictly today in the Champions League, we kick off with a suggestion from our good friend Harry Holland, who suggests Liverpool versus Chelsea, the one with the ghost goal. So, how many good clashes did Chelsea and Liverpool have in this time? It seemed as though every season... It was Liverpool-Chelsea every year, 2005, the one we're going to talk about now. It was enriched Champions League folklore, Mourinho Anfield in a second leg of a big European game. Rafa Benitez, Luis Garcia, the goal that came from the moon, as Mourinho said. This matters more than any other clash, as, as speaking as a neutral, because Liverpool hadn't reached a Champions League final yet since it got reformatted. Their first European Cup final since 1985 and... They were 21 years removed from winning their 
fourth European Cup against Roma in 84. Chelsea and Liverpool would of course meet two years later. Again, it was Mourinho, it was Anfield, it was Benitez. It was again 1-0 and again in the semi-finals. But on that night, it meant penalties. But the same victor was Liverpool winning on penalties, making yet another final against AC Milan, obviously going very differently from two years prior to Istanbul. They'd met in the group stages, funnily enough, in the 2005-06 season because Liverpool couldn't be seeded through finishing fifth and it was before UEFA decided that the champions probably ought to be qualifying for the Champions League and obviously they'd gone through three qualification stages and it meant with what could have been five English teams in the group stages, obviously Everton didn't make it, that Liverpool couldn't be bound by national restrictions so they could play Man United, they could play Chelsea and Arsenal. Obviously, fate would have it that they'd draw Chelsea. Um, In 2008, it was another semi-final, a third semi-final in four seasons, but Chelsea won that one with a dramatic 3-2 after extra time win at the bridge. Key there that the second leg not being at Anfield, obviously, the famous sucking of the ball into the net by the Anfield faithful, the cop faithful, and Chelsea's second win out of the best of four knockout phase series. Also, the second leg was at the Stamford Bridge and it was a ridiculous 4-4, uh, a stark contrast to the uh, Mourinho defensive football that we'd uh, become accustomed to stereotypically in 2005. Chelsea going through there, of course. So let's work our way all the way back. So we're going to take it from the 1994-95 season when the knockout stage was directly after the group stages. There wasn't a knockout stage before the group stages or that silly little semi-final in 94 that were one-legged for some reason. So my first suggestion is Gothenburg versus Bayern Munich from 1995. 2-2 in the second leg after a 0-0 draw in Germany. Bayern Munich goalkeeper got sent off early on to weigh things slightly more in balance of um, the minnows from Sweden. But Alexander Zickler, Christian Nerlinger scored goals in the second half for Bayern Munich looking to seal the game midway through but the Swedes getting too late on through Lillenberg and Martinson saw Bayern Munich hang on to what was could have been a famous win for Gothenburg, but instead was an away goals victory for the Germans. Also from that season, we saw PSG's late, late, late comeback against Barcelona to make their first semi-final in a Champions League. Also PSG and Barcelona, not the last comeback that would happen in that fixture in the Champions League. In 1996-97, Ajax were taken all the way in a 3-2 win after extra time in the Calderon. One of only nine extra time wins in Champions League knockouts. We'll be talking about that later on. But let's take a detour. At George HS 2706, I think he's a Chelsea fan, but let's uh, let's see if we can guess from his suggestions here. Chelsea 4, Barcelona 2, 2005. Chelsea 4, Napoli 1, 2012. Chelsea, Barcelona semi-final from 2012. And Arsenal 1, Chelsea 2, that Wayne Bridge winner. So, of course, he's a Chelsea fan. Chelsea 4, Barcelona 2 is magnificent. Um, you've got the Chelsea onslaught to go 3-0 up inside 20 minutes. I always remember the Damien Duff goal on the break with that Lampard tapping. But the standout from what was eventually a Chelsea qualification into the quarterfinals was that absolute genius from Ronaldinho, the toe poke that swerved into the bottom corner, caught everyone off guard. Commentators, 40,000, pet a check inside the stadium. Um, more dramatic for Chelsea, though, was the run to the 2012 final. Obviously, we all remember Gary Neville's goalgasm in the uh, new camp when Fernando Torres rounded the keeper, slotted it in, and Chelsea qualified for a second Champions League final. But before that, we had Napoli taking Chelsea all the way to extra time. Chelsea digging out a 4-1 win. 
to qualify. And it seemed as though their name was on the trophy right from that moment. They'd beat Benfica, then obviously Lionel Messi would come unstuck against the likes of Ramirez and Fernando Torres in the new camp. Obviously, the last suggestion there, Wimbridge scoring, it was 2004, that one, uh, 87th minute winner from the left back in a 2-1 win for Chelsea. So I remember being hooked on that match as a neutral because my beloved Manchester United went out in the out in the uh, last 16 to Porto. The pool was thinning rapidly. We've got another suggestion later on um, where Real Madrid were knocked out. So we had Monaco, Porto, Deportivo, and then one of these two teams in the semi-finals. It wouldn't be Arsenal who were the favourites to win the Champions League that year. Obviously, that invincible season, Chelsea winning it. And Chelsea were more of a curiosity than the inevitable winning machine that they would become under Mourinho, Conte, Ancelotti, etc, etc, etc. So, contrasting George's Chelsea picks there, I'm going to take you on a little tour of my Manchester United favourites from the 2000s. But first, obviously, I have to include the 99 treble season, beating Juventus 3-2, the incredible comeback in Turin. Two Inzaghi goals early on, then... Roy Keane's magnificent performance in Italy. The header, then Dwight York and Andy Cole, as they would often do that season, scoring goals to turn a defeat, a surefire defeat for Juventus, who were looking for their fifth European final in a row for Manchester United, who had fallen at the semi-final stage a couple of times in the 90s, finally overcoming that hurdle and obviously winning the treble. 2003 takes us to, although it was a loss for Man United against Real Madrid in the quarterfinals, you can't deny the Ronaldo performance at Old Trafford. Scoring a hat-trick, it just bears repeating because it's one of the all-time great performances in a Champions League knockout phase, really. Obviously, Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi would go on to eclipse that in the years to come, Cristiano Ronaldo especially. One from 2000, or two from 2007 here with um, the Italian double 7-1 against Roma, which stands the test of time because it was... A shocking win after a 2-1 win, 2-1 defeat in Rome and a Paul Scholes red card. So they were seemed to be hamstrung, but then obviously seven goals. Michael Carrick, Cristiano Ronaldo, Evra. Alan Smith's goal was a thing of beauty. And later on in the semi-finals, a round after, a 3-2 win over Milan, which is probably less heralded because it obviously the second leg was a 3-0 defeat. But the Wayne Rooney winner in, on 90 minutes was one of the special moments. A special moment, of course. Again, Paul Scholes against Barcelona, the volley in the semi-final to seal Manchester United's second final under Sir Alex Ferguson. So we'll look at some more classics from the 2000s here. Valencia and Barcelona both sticking five beyond their quarterfinal opponents in Lazio and Chelsea. 2003, we've got Pavel Nedved stealing the show against Real Madrid in the semi-finals for Juventus, winning 3-1, but the Czech being ruled out through suspension for the final in Manchester. 2004, we've got For the Love of List podcast endorsed Monaco versus Real Madrid, which was great for the neutral and it was Real going 5-2 up in the tight in the second leg in Monaco, only for Fernando Morientes and Ludovic Juli to break the hearts of Real Madrid. And Raul even thinking he'd won it in the second half with a header, but he was ruled out for offside. Morientes obviously broke Chelsea hearts in the following round in the semi-final with a superb di- display at Stamford Bridge when it looked as though Chelsea were going to have their name etched onto the trophy for the first time. We stayed with Chelsea in 2005, and I, for some reason I always remember... The Frank Lampard goal against Bayern Munich in a 4-2 win. Obviously, they'd go on to uh, reach the semi-finals that year, as we'd already spoken about. But that Lampard swivel goal when he chests it down, turns half volley into the bottom corner was... For some reason, that sticks with me. Um, two years on, we've got Liverpool's great night in the new Camp featuring Craig Bellamy with his golf swing celebration. Um, that white and green kit always sticks in the mind as well. And 
Iniesta's late winner at Stamford Bridge in a semi-final between Barcelona and Chelsea featuring one Tom Henning of, of Rebo's refereeing, which was, let's say, controversial to, to say the least, or a disgrace if you did hear Drogba. We've got a couple of suggestions from Luch here and PSG Barcelona. The second comeback in their little 20-year <laughs> rivalry there. PSG obviously winning 4-0 in Paris, Barcelona conceding, looking the looking as though they were down and out, and then obviously three goals in the last three minutes. Sergio Roberto, volley, bang, 6-1. <laughs> we'll do well to have a game as half as dramatic as that in this last 16 phase this year. He also recommends PSG against Manchester United, which is obviously a personal favourite for me. Um, the last-minute penalty against Gigi Buffon from Marcus Rashford winning the tie and taking Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's Manchester United, the tricky Reds, into the quarterfinal to Barcelona to be slaughtered. But that, let's uh, not discuss that. And probably second only to PSG and Barca in terms of Champions League comebacks is Deportivo in Milan. Deportivo were one of the best teams for me. Well, nightmarish team if you're a Man United fan like I am, but one of the up-and-coming great teams in the early 2000s. And this was... They were sort of on the back nine as a team by then, but in 2004. But overturning a lead against the champions, let's not forget in Milan, in the quarterfinals to make a semi-final was just one of the great matches again as a neutral. In the name of football podcasts, remembers most of all his beloved Arsenal's run to the 2006 Champions League final and one of the best performances there, Thierry Henry in the Bernabeu. Who can forget it? That Maisie run to score a goal. The only goal of the tie in a 1-0 match over three hours of football. And they went to places like Villarreal, Juventus, Real, kept clean sheets, didn't concede until the final from the group stages. Um, fantastic. Oh, he also suggests Arsenal's 2-1 win over Barcelona in 2011 with Ash having scoring the goal and obviously harks back to Chelsea's win at the new Camp with Gary Neville's goalgasm. Um, Barcelona and, Man- and Arsenal at that time would seem to be inextricably linked as well. Arsenal never seemingly getting over the line. They would have a couple of wins over Barcelona. I remember Cesc Fabregas scoring a penalty with a broken leg. For Christ's sake, I mean, that's dedication. Coming to more uh, modern, recent Champions League knockout matches. We've got Radio Techers who suggests who can forget Anfield 4 0 Barcelona, Alexander Arnold taking the corner quickly, and even Spurs beating Ajax. Two fantastic games back to back. And this for me was right at the time of the Gazprom, not considered as dramatic. The Champions League losing a bit of lustre, the group stage is becoming easy. The same teams in the same places over and over again Real Madrid, Barcelona, Atletico Madrid, Juventus, etc., etc. We'd had that Chelsea run in 2012, which was dramatic. That Barcelona comeback against PSG, which was doubly dramatic. The Bayern Munich 7-0 demolition over Barcelona. Even Robert Lewandowski scoring four goals against Real Madrid was um, one of the highlights. We've got Atletico Madrid beating Barcelona twice. Real Madrid's devastation at Bayern Munich under Carlo Ancelotti, which we spoke of last week. Monaco getting to latter stages in 2015, 2017. But that was about it, we... The 2010s was mainly reserved for individual brilliance of Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo than the all-encompassing drama of the cup. Well, and obviously, those two suggestions, both from the semi-final phase, obviously, fantastic comebacks. Ajax looked for all the world to be getting into the final. Lucas Moura <laughs> scoring a hat-trick. The last goal um, is especially poignant because you've got him wheeling away in celebration and just... 
the collapsed youngsters of Ajax just on the turf. It must have been devastating. It was as close as you'll get to uh, Bayern Munich's commiserations at the end of the 99 Champions League final, but I've got to shovel that in somewhere, haven't I? But let's not forget the quarterfinal for Spurs. Obviously, they won that on away goals, just like the semi-final, and that was equally dramatic. You've got Fernando Llorente's handball goal that stood, and you've got Sterling's seemingly 90th minute winner that sparked millions and millions upon millions of memes of Pep Guardiola crumbling to his knees in the last minute as it looked as though Man City were going to a semi-final and might have won it that season, in all honesty, completing what would have been a quadruple. So, as I hinted towards before, nine penalty shootouts, 10 extra time matches that have taken place across 292 non-final knockout stage ties, obviously excluding finals. I put it to my followers on Twitter who has been the only team to win multiple penalty shootouts in non-final knockout stage ties of the Champions League. PSV have got one, Liverpool have got one, Schalke have got one, Fenerbahce have got one, Arsenal have got one, Bayern Munich have got one, even Apoel Nicosia have got one. But Atletico Madrid have won twice on penalties and it's kind of weird how only nine ties have been settled by penalties. even weirder that extra time has only been needed in 10 of those 292 times. Obviously, those nine penalty shootout wins would obviously go to extra time, but regardless, Chelsea and Juventus, the only teams to win multiple times over extra time. One of them we've discussed there with the Napoli win. After this short break, we'll be talking about another cup, but this time it's a fabulous cup run from Wickham Wanderers in 2001. So we go to 2001 and Wickham Wanderers of all teams. So Wickham Wanderers had won the FA Amateur Cup in 1931. They'd won the FA Trophy in 1991. And forget Tottenham Hotspur, Wickham only win trophies in a year ending in one. Nine goals were the difference in remaining in non-league in 1992 and promotion to the EFL, which Colchester gained. But 12 months later, Wickham Wanderers corrected that. And in 1994, they were to play in the Football League, in 1993, sorry, they were to play in the Football League for the very first time. Not messing around, they got promoted immediately into what is now known League One after a playoff win over Preston North End. And by 2001, they'd been cripplingly mid-table, apart from that first season in the old second division, where they finished sixth, which at that time didn't guarantee a playoff spot. Funnily enough, when eighth in 2020 guaranteed a playoff spot, courtesy of points per game but that's the curiosities of life anyway back to 2001 the year was ending in one could Wickham win a trophy it all started with a 3-0 win over Harrow Borough in the first round and they managed to get a replay against Millwall winning that replay and Wickham had got to the third round of the FA Cup for only the fifth time in their history in 1975 they lost 1-0 to Middlesbrough after a replay in 1986 they lost 2-0 to York in 97 they lost 2-0 to West Ham and in 1997, they'd lost 2-0 to Bradford. And for the first time in their history, they scored a goal in the third round. Paul McCarthy salvaging a replay against Grimsby and another goal from the defender, winning the replay 3-1. Wickham were in newfound territory, Sam Parkin scoring the winner against Wolves in round four, so even more new territory, the fifth round, which happened on this day 20 years ago. 
Elsewhere in this round in the cup, I thought I'd bring you a couple of the results. We had Bolton drawing with Blackburn, Leicester beating Bristol City, Southampton and Tranmere going to a replay, West Ham winning at Sunderland and Spurs hammering Stockport. Arsenal and Liverpool would win on the Sunday. And in the replay, it looked as a Wickham's run was over. 2-0 down at home to Wimbledon at half-time and with 18 minutes left, two goals salvaged to replay. Future Wickham manager Gareth Ainsworth opened the scoring back at Sellhurst in the replay, but 10-man Wickham take it, took the game to extra time and on 120 minutes, Paul McCarthy struck again. The defender who scored 9 in 212 league games for Wickham netted 4 goals in the latter stages of the FA Cup. They would win 8-7 on penalties and were granted Leicester away at Filbert Street. Now at this time, Leicester City, they, would, they wouldn't be long for the Premier League. They'd go down the following season. But at this time, they were a fantastic cup team. They'd won two League Cups in 97 and 2000 quite recently. But Wickham manager Loris Sanchez knew all about the cup and cup upsets. He was part of the Wimbledon team, the crazy gang in 1988, and would score in the final, the winning goal. And Wickham in this quarterfinal took the lead. Paul McCarthy's fifth goal in between the third and sixth rounds. But in the second half, it looked as though Muzzy as it would equalise to restore normality with 20 minutes to go. So with the tie locked one all, Loris Sanchez threw on, it's safe to say, the most famous substitute in Wickham Wanderers history. Roy Essendor, a man plucked from a CFAX advert in the midst of a striker shortage. And then second half stoppage time, he leapt like a salmon at Filbert Street, two on Wickham. Wickham were to play in a semi-final of an FA Cup against Liverpool. So it was all going very well at Villa Park. Michael Owen was thwarted. Christian Zieger's miraculous acrobatics went just wide. Emil Heskey had a header saved. But finally, 12 minutes to go, another Heskey header. But this time it went in. Heartbreak for Wickham and further heartbreak when Robbie Fowler sealed it with a free kick. However, there could have been a twist in the tail. Keith Ryan pulled one back late, late on. But as we know, this was a season of Liverpool's cup treble. Wickham wouldn't win against Liverpool, but still... It has to be named one of the best runs by a lower league club in FA Cup history. So I fired that out to my followers on Twitter. Harry Holland claimed Sutton United, which was history making. They made the fifth round and played against Arsenal in the last 16. But they wouldn't be somehow in that crazy FA Cup season. They wouldn't be the last non-league team to play in the FA Cup. However, that weekend, the weekend where... Sutton United lost on a Monday night to Arsenal, where that reserve goalkeeper got caught eating a pie and dredged himself into a betting scandal. Lincoln beat another Premier League team that Saturday lunchtime, beating Burnley 1-0 at Toff, Turf Moor. But Arsenal, what seemingly looked like the easiest run to an FA Cup semi-final ever, beat Lincoln after beating Sutton United, beating them 5-0 in the quarterfinals. So Lincoln obviously has to be considered alongside Sutton United in terms of non-league greats. Obviously you've got Hereford with that famous goal against Newcastle as well. Arsenal for life, a shout out for him as well. He always reminds me to uh, update the schedule on Twitter every Sunday night. So Arsenal for life, Joe there. He's stated Cardiff reaching the FA Cup final in 2008. And this is a season where I do plan on talking about the cup in long form because it was such a chaotic season, such a memorable one too. So Cardiff beat Barnsley to reach the final, an all-championship clash after Barnsley eliminated Chelsea with that Coyote Odegaard goal, which has since been revisited this season, of course when Barnsley played Chelsea again at Oakwell. But obviously, it was 1-0, but it was the other way around, this time for Chelsea. Barnsley was a Lelouch selection. Obviously, Barnsley would win the FA Cup. We'll talk about that in a second. 
West Brom also made up a semi-final that included three championship sides, a feat never repeated or seen before in the FA Cup. Portsmouth, the only Premier League team, would inevitably win it. Also in the same vein, we can look at Sheffield United getting into the semi-final in 2014 as a League One side, only to lose to Hull. I think it was 5-3 in the end. So back to Barnsley for the love of this podcast. He states that took me by surprise completely. Barnsley in 1912 after coming so close to 1910 and we all remember where we were when they beat West Bromwich Albion in 1912 at Crystal Palace. It was even before the Wembley days. So Barnsley became the fourth non-top tier team to win the cup after Notts County in 1894, Spurs in 1901 and Wolves in 1908. The romance of it comes from their defeat to Newcastle two years prior back when Newcastle could win a cup anyway. The other non-top flight teams to win the cup includes West Bromwich Albion in 1931, Sunderland in 1973, Southampton in 1976 and West Ham in 1980. A big shock in the 2013 final as all suggested by Joseph Kiffin, Four Manx One Toffee podcast and the two up top football podcast Wigan in 2013. A Premier League club nonetheless but... The shock of the final win was, for me, the closest thing we'll get to Wimbledon in 1988. Also see the likes of West Brom in 1968, Ipswich in 78, Coventry in 1987 and Everton in 1995 for winning the cup final in a bit of a shock, but nonetheless still being a top flight club. And speaking of top flight clubs, we'll be going to France and to February 2003 in The Table Never Lies after this short break. Bienvenue, February 2003, France, Ligue 1. So Harry Holland says, one word, Lyon, and this is where we have to start with Ligue 1 in 2003, in the early 2000s, to be honest with you. Previously on the table, never lies, Lyon had won their first title on the final day with a 3-1 win against Lons, who were top, and they then leapfrogged them to win their first ever title. So looking at the table today from 18 years ago, Lyon seemingly had a bit of a problem. They were... They were fifth with 11 games to go with Marseille, Monaco, Auxerre and Nice all above them with Sochaux, Bordeaux, Nantes and Bastia all within a point of them too. Anyone in the top half could realistically win the league title. So Leon, they'd bring, bring in youthful signs for the future, figure spearheaded by Mamadou Diara from Vitesse. Bordeaux would announce themselves officially in the title race rebounding from a defeat to Bastia to rack up six without defeat, scoring 14 points on the way to the end of the season. In the meantime, Auxerre lost to Lyon, Monaco dropped out. In the meantime, Auxerre lost to Lyon and Monaco to drop out. Monaco's loss at home to Bordeaux was compounded with a similar 1-0 home loss to Nice. Meanwhile, Nice's draws to Bastia, Nantes and Lens, as well as a five winless game streak to end meant 10th place and only just slivering into Europe via the Intertoto Cup. Meanwhile, Marseille was scuppered with losses to PSG and Gangamp. So, show got crucial wins at Montpellier, Troyes, Strasbourg and would be a surprise in fifth. Meanwhile, the title race could only come down to Lyon, Monaco, Marseille and Bordeaux. Ultimately, obviously as we know now, Lyon wouldn't lose until the league title was wrapped up. So, let's go back. Let's backtrack. Pretend I didn't say that. Weekend of March the 8th and 9th in 2003, Marseille were destroyed at home to PSG. Jean-Claude Darcheville netted the winner in Monaco, whilst Juninho bagged two in a 3-1 win over Ajaxio. That Bordeaux win kept two points between the top four, 
going into the business end of the season. Bordeaux had struggled versus Nantes the following week and in the following month on the weekend of April 5th and 6th, Marseille went down at home to Gangomp. Lyon won late at home to Le Havre. Meanwhile, Monaco lost at home to Nice and Lyon finally climbed to the top of the table with only a few matches to spare. However, it would be brief. It would be brief because Monaco retook the lead two weeks later, beating Strasbourg a day after Lille's Lyon's 0-0 draw with Lille. It was brief again. Monaco flip-flopping the title race back to Lyon after a 2-1 defeat in Paris to PS3 dropped them all the way from first to third. Lyon beat Strasbourg and Marseille beat Bastia. So three points was the difference with three to play. That was the weekend where Trois' fate was sealed, relegated to Ligue 2. The following week, Sochaux's 3-0 win over Marseille effectively killed their title bid and left Monaco as a sole title challenger with Lyon, courtesy of a 3-1 win over Montpellier. Meanwhile, Lyon won, th- won 1-0 through a Sonny Anderson goal against PSG. That meant a three-point gap with two to play, Monaco dropping out of the title race on the penultimate week, losing at Gangomp. This meant that Lyon's 1-1 draw in Montpellier would therefore effectively be a title winner. Their goal difference being 19 goals superior to Marseille and barring a minor miracle on the final day, it was unassailable. Lyon were going to be French champions again. They'd win by a point in the end, signing off with a defeat at home to Gangomp 4-1. Obviously, towels on the sunbed job there. Monaco beat Troyes 6-0 and leapfrogged above Marseille into second with all three qualifying for the Champions League. Bordeaux, Socha, Auxerre and Lons would be in the UEFA Cup, Gangomp, Nantes and Nice would be in the Intertoto Cup. Meanwhile, at the other end of the table, Le Havre and Sedan couldn't rescue relegation on the final day. Lyon, of course, their dominance would continue, but that's a story for another day. We'll end today's episode with a 2000s trivial teaser, as always. So big shout out to the following who got last week's answer correct. Podfather Mags, Mark Byrne and North East Football Shirts all on Twitter. They got the correct answer and the correct answer was Paul Koncheski, who is indeed a fullback. He has been managed by Roy Hodgson and Claudio Ranieri. First at Liverpool, Ranieri at Leicester. Paul Koncheski has played with Wayne Rooney, Frank Lampard, David Beckham, all at England. He's played with Riyad Mahrez at Leicester and Fernando Torres at Liverpool. So, from one end of the pitch to the other, today today we have a centre forward. He has been managed by Graham Souness. He's been also managed by Roy Keane, the Sky Sports duo there. His teammates, some of them have been F.A. Sodji, Two Guy, Rory Delap, Anthony Gerrard and Ollie McBurney. Again, our centre forward this week has been managed by Graham Souness, Roy Keane. He's played alongside Effie Sodji, Two Guy, Rory Delap, Anthony Gerrard and Ollie McBurney. If you think you know the answer, tweet us like Podfather Mags, Mark Byrne and North East Football Shirts did at whatif underscore YouTube or leave your correct or incorrect answer down in the comments section on this video. We'll be back next week with episode 30 and we'll be going to Portugal in 2004 for The Table Never Lies. We'll be looking at Blackburn Rovers in the 2000s in what was a very, almost very, very successful decade for the club and 2000s, 2007's League Cup 
final. Elsewhere on the channel, we've got the 1996 Champions League final, Brazil, Newcastle, Shearer, Blackpool, Federico Makeda, Southampton, the best Premier League runners-up ranked, and a fantastic review of FIFA 2004. So keep it on this YouTube channel for all those things and much, much more. And on our Twitter account at whatif underscore YouTube. Follow us, give us a like, give us a subscribe. As I'm obligated to say, we'll see you next week. Sports Social Podcast Network.